they're all the words you could use to associate with that, but maybe trust is the most salient or the most uh, the most narrow definition of what that actually translates to, where you really start to feel the compound effect of brand 12 months, 18 months down the line. I think even the act of doing something recognizable for that amount of time, it has these like, it implies these, these things that you don't even really think about. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing that, the best conversations we've had with significant brand builders, experts, and communicators. The people that we've encountered as we go about our work of making people care by creating impactful brands. Season three is focused on unpacking the topic of branding. We talk to people who design brands, own brands, build brands, and even those who hire for brands. We explore what brands look like and how they behave across a wide spectrum, from world-renowned brands with massive budgets like Spotify to companies that are making big waves on small budgets. If you're looking for insights on the best ways to invest in and build your brand, this is the season for you. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Hello. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Jack Butcher. After spending 10 years in corporate advertising in New York City, Jack founded his own agency. And after two years and some consulting, he focused that down into a product-based business called Visualize Value. At Visualize Value, he's built a million-dollar media business with an audience of over 600,000 people. Jack joins us to talk about finding and keeping the attention span of the market, how to turn an idea into a brand, and how to turn that into an audience. We also talk about how focus and consistency will lead to success. Enjoy. Jack Butcher, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was a it was a long journey to get you, and you even made a, a small human in between. Yeah. Um, so yeah. thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, mate. I uh, appreciate your patience in getting this sorted out. It's good to be here. Right. So I mean, I've been following your work for for a long time. Um, you know, I think the thing that that I found you via was was Visualize Value. Actually, one of the guys on my team, Jason, put us onto it. And I think the thing that I love the most about it is that you've created a brand that's so much more than a logo. It's almost like you've you've owned an idea using repeated use of a simple graphic system, which I think is is amazing. Um, I'd love you to just sort of share how you how you think about Visualize Value as a brand and how you ended up uh, making something that's so so simple yet so so standout-ish. Well, thank you, first of all. appreciate the kind words. And I'm probably going to... Um, it, I'm probably going to sound like this would, like happened completely accidentally and 90% of it was an accident or it was very incremental steps that led to it being what it is today. So my background is in graphic design. I worked in a bunch of different commercial environments as a designer, as an art director in ad agencies and design studios and did about eight years bouncing around all these different jobs, picking up all these different skills, working with all these different uh, types of clients, industries, um, projects, mediums, all of this different stuff. and. I started my own agency, both 
naively and arrogantly in the, the winter of 2017. <laughs> and, you know, I'd reached a point in my agency career where I'd had enough exposure to the economics of the agency business that I was like, oh, I'm producing, I'm producing the deliverable here. So I deserve 90% of the, uh, the billable amount. Obviously, that's a complete fallacy. But it, again, that was the catalyst for me going to start my own mm -hmm. agency. There's a ton of infrastructure. There's all this management. And with F Fortune 500 clients that I was working with, there's obviously a massive expectation on the maybe 80% of the work is not actually the work in those relationships. So long story short, started an agency, managed to get a couple of large clients through referrals and my network from having, you know, eight years of producing work in front of people and being connected to them and lasted about six months and then decided, okay, this is not something that I'm interested in doing longer term. Don't want to build a team of 30 people. Don't want to like rent an office in Manhattan so I can court clients when they're in town and all of those things that come with competing with your um like madison avenue hmm. agencies that i'll be bidding against on these jobs so that was the perception wasn't the indeed indeed yes. with the perception that eats up 80 percent of the margin <laughs> and uh, so didn't go that route and then decided okay like read a lot started to understand the necessity to narrow down and beyond even, you know, a branding agency or a video agency or anything of that nature. It's like, how could I get even narrower than that? Because every project I'd landed to date required hiring freelancers and, you know, coordinating among a bunch of different parties. And, and my desire was to basically be leveraged as an individual. So I, I, this was almost accidental. I realized in the business that I'd pitched, pitching for this Fortune 500 work, I'd always create these, these uh, keynotes. And that had been sort of my job in all of the agency uh, environments and jobs that I'd had before where it's like, oh, Jack will do the keynote, be the first one in, the last one out, and would put a ton of effort into producing these like compelling keynotes, largely because towards the end of my agency career, I had to stand up in front of a room and present them. And the only way I felt confident enough to present them is if they were one beautiful and two like mm. made complete logical sense. So I would just uh, really pour a lot of energy into making these things as good as I could. And then started to realize that that was the thing that I was perhaps better at than producing the work itself. So made these keynotes would win business. And then, you know, the work that we deliver wasn't bad but it wasn't like you know what not a standout video agency hiring people from mm. film school and it was really that realization that this point in the process that you actually don't don't get rewarded for traditionally like you don't get paid to produce the deck but the deck produces an opportunity right so i thought okay, maybe there's an opportunity to just do this. And there are agencies that do that, right? They produce decks and help startups raise money and all of those things. And the it was just a, a series of different shifts. Like as I started to consume information that helped me think about the business differently, I would take these notes visually. And then I just started to post those out under the agency. Instagram at the time was called Opponent. 
And it just started to get a little bit more traction than me posting like screenshots of UI or, mm. you know, ad campaign concepts, things like that. So was, there was something there. It's like this little glimmer. And that turned into a few clients that were specifically after this, this, uh, this type of deliverable, right? Taking an a idea and turning it into some tangible graphic. So I did that for a few, um, few rounds of consulting, got a few clients that way. And then I was like, okay, there's enough here to turn this into a very focused agency. So I'm going to start just producing these graphics and sharing them out. And then actually this is a, there was a side business I was working on at the time called Trust Accelerator, which was my first attempt at a productized agency. And it was, um, people would record an hour of audio, like a podcast like you and I are doing, mm. drop it in a Google Drive folder. And then I had a small team and a partner and we turned that into a produced podcast, a short little article and some graphic assets and the little um, videogram clips. Yeah, the little one minutes you can throw yeah. around on social media. Exactly. And, and my responsibility within that was you know, taking these sentences that people or these quips that people made on podcasts and turn them into these little graphic assets. And it was just like itching, like scratching a creative itch doing that and trying to make them more than just, you know, a quote card. Every There's a lot of people just like have this typographic style and throw it on a, a color background and off you go. But I was like really trying to challenge myself to basically make these people these assets that they're incredibly proud of, right? People say something and they maybe don't put it together in the moment that it was profound or interesting as it was. And then you can present it back to them in a way that really uh, distills what they're trying to say. And you see people light up around that, like that um, process. And then visualized value is really born of, okay, if I can find people that want that done as a service specifically, I think that kind of can outgrow this, this podcast business because you're also kind of a race to the bottom podcast production is a very AI coming in to destroy the margins and do it all for 29.99 yeah i could you know what's it called uh um i I forget some like removed vowel thing that takes your videos and turns it into an asset right Mm. so got out of that business and visualized value was um taking ideas that I could find anywhere. So I didn't need a client to make these things. I could pick a book up off the shelf or go and read an article that someone had written that is talking about something I'm interested in, turn that into this visual asset. And I think all of the corporate and brand training kicked in where it's like, just pick, pick, a, pick a style and stick to it and make the creative constraint, like the, a creative constraint will be born out of those decisions rather than you spending 80% of the time picking typefaces and textures and color and all mm. of those decisions that eat up the eat up hours essentially. So decided, okay, black and white, we're going to visualize these quotes and ideas and concepts. And then that's going to bring in a ton of um, interest for consulting. That was the original plan. And managed to get more traction than that where there's more um more inbound for consulting than i could personally handle and then again you get to the stage where okay this can turn into an agency and i can go and find people train people uh etc or you know there are other directions that this can take now because it is um there are just like multiple pathways off 
a media business versus a you know a, an agency that's showing its portfolio of work if that makes sense mm. so so i mean it sounds like a lot of this happened in a kind of evolutionary fashion i mean what was the what was the moment when you realized that you you firstly picked a really good name like i think in terms of a brand name it, it it says what you do and it's intriguing um you know and and you've got the vv in there which which also works very well um and that you realized that that you didn't need the other pieces and you could just do this like how did you how did you get to that point to realize okay well actually i can not have to consult i can just create these things and that can actually be the the brand and the business that people mm. are, are wanting so evolutionary evolutionary is right and i think still the case in in a lot of ways um there was a few moments in time where you feel the network effect of some of the social platforms kick in and that i didn't know exactly what it meant in the moment or what it would, um, what doors it would open up, but it definitely felt like a, like a step change, a shift in the dynamic of the business. So I'd gone from this like really, um, I guess low leverage, like belly to belly, like, um, pitching with, you know, organize a meeting, sit down for an hour, make sure, put together a story and convince somebody that you have the, you know, the ideas that can propel their business in some way, shape or form versus like flipping that dynamic entirely where you become the magnet and people come to you and they're not trying to direct you. They're trying to, you're, they're asking you to put their ideas through this filter, through this lens that you've created. So th there's a couple of things. One is, um, one is that idea of the social network effect. So one great image can just carry into all different corners of the internet. And then mm. the second is um, just people making inbound requests that aren't RFPs for how would you approach my problem? It's more like, can I hire you to tell me what to do? Which is a, just a diff that was like a, you know, a polar opposite of, what the agency world had been to me up to that point. Mm, it, it, it's so true. It's people are buying you for you. They're not seeing what you've done and then go, okay, well now I want you to do what I want right, to do, right, right. <laughs> which is, is a bit counterintuitive. Uh, like how much of the, the value of this business do you think is, is in the, the brand in the, in those kind of, elements that you've created like because I, I see you've explored many different ways of of kind of monetizing this there's mm -hmm. there's courses there's a community there's little documents you can download there's ideas you can buy i think there's so many different things that you've you've done like how how strong do you think the brand is in creating that value for you i think it's like it's the most intangible asset that it's the most intangible asset on the balance sheet, but it's, I would say, you know, hard to even put a percentage on it, but it's a majority. It's like, uh, it turns, I think the, the way I think about it is 
a brand has this intangible equity that's very hard to calculate, but every single, uh, every single additional image is building equity. And that, that mm. I read this article recently. I have to dig it up and send you, um, send you a link to it. But the gist of the opening paragraph is your brand is this decentralized thing that essentially exists in other people's heads. Mm. like the the your brand is this cumulative um cumulative thing that you don't really have any consistent understanding of it's it's a it's this thing that you're building in other people's minds and that to me is like they're all the words you could use to associate with that but maybe trust is the most um salient or the most uh the most narrow definition of what that actually translates to where you really start to feel the compound effect of brand 12 months 18 months down the line Mm. i think even the act of doing something recognizable for that amount of time is um it has these like it implies these these things that you don't even really think about but i think when people view the brand now it doesn't look like it's going to go away right it feels like it has a foundation where you can expect to see something every couple of days once a week once a month and that uh i think that's why brand is so complex because it takes such a long time to um to like take hold and and um i'd even in my corporate brand exercises i'd never been as close to the outcome as this or you build a brand and then you hand it over Mm. and um if you haven't done a good enough job of making the people you work with feel like they own it then it just sort of dissipates right the branding is kind of the thing that happens after you deliver the brand so the brand is black and white visuals and um you know the the distillation of ideas but the branding is showing up and posting this stuff every day or bringing new ideas to the people that follow it uh on a consistent basis and i didn't really get that until i'd gone through this process either and i have so many branding projects in my portfolio that i'm very proud of but they never continued on the trajectory that i would have liked to have seen them continue on because the you know, the, I guess the momentum didn't exist in the business or I didn't install the momentum in the business that I could or should have in order to achieve that effect over time. Mm. And it really does take a long time, like to, to win that like battle of attrition of attention and like fire off the sequence of neurons that fires off when someone sees your work. I think we underestimate how long it takes to get there we both underestimate how long it takes to get there, but we also underestimate what it's worth when you, when you kind of pass that threshold, if that makes sense. Yes. Well, I think, I mean, that's such a, like a valid point or powerful point is I think people see the success stories and they see the, the, the light that's been shone on them, but they don't see the time and the energy and the effort that that those companies and those brands put in to get noticed i mean there's a, a youtuber named marcus brownlee um nkbhd he he's been making videos for 14 years Incredible. so people look at him now and they're like okay this guy's 
successful and all the people are sending him products and he's selling merch and he can put his name on something and sell it out in 30 seconds. But you don't recognize that, that he's been making a video a week for 14 years, Incredible. which is, you know, from a consistency perspective, epic. And like you said, he's just accreting brand equity over time. So when people see him and they go, well, should we work with this guy or should we work with that guy? You're like, well, this guy's been doing this for 14 years. And this guy's kind of, you know, like bright and shiny and exciting, right. but not necessarily as consistent. And I also yeah, think he, the craft evolves, you know, when you go at it all the time, it gets better and better and better and better. So when people look at it, they're like, it's so simple, but it's so clever and so, so brilliant. But that's doing the same activity over and over and over again for a long period of time. Yeah. Like MKBHD is an amazing example. He's an institution at this point, hmm. like that level of consistency and brand applied uh, like you say, people will pay an hour of their time to watch his video every time he posts it because he's earned, he's like his reputation has earned that hour from them before they've even committed to it. It's kind of a fascinating concept that, um, again, the, the world is changing so uh, significantly. I feel like the amount of power in that distribution for someone like him is outweighing you know some traditional media outlets at this point i don't know how many youtube subscribers he has i'm sure it's in the eight figures mm. multiple eight figures and you it's very it's kind of difficult to imagine that scale it's incredible so i guess i mean i think for me the the lesson here is for for people who are, are building brands or or, or you know, running them is that, that consistency, if it might not feel right in the beginning and you might not be seeing the results that you're seeing, but if you keep going and you keep plugging away and you keep iterating and you keep putting it out there, as opposed to sort of, we see a lot with people who they're like, they try something and it doesn't work and they immediately ditch it and go to something else and they try mm -hmm. something else and then that doesn't work. And then they look back four years later and they've tried 15 things and they're not, where they are and they're feeling frustrated and they're feeling kind of trapped or that they're not in the right place. And I think sometimes just keeping going and listening for those signals, like you said, you saw one or two of those signals and you're like, ah, oh, this is, this is a signal coming this back from the people of what they want. So let's lean into that and see where it takes us. Yeah. I think there's also a, to like lean into a bit of the nuance of, visualized value is I didn't need a thousand people to believe in it to, for it to work. I needed to find five people a year that were interested in hiring me as a consultant. Mm. And I, and I was, you know, posting stuff on the internet. And even if you have 50 followers on Instagram, you're getting a few dozen impressions a day, right? So it's, yes easier than going and knocking on 36 doors a day, even if you have a minuscule following. And that's another thing I think that is, it may, it, it's not specific to this business model, but there's this, um, there's, there are these like incremental stages where the brand sort of performs a different role or the, as the business grows, you can like the brand is, the opportunities kind of lag the brand, if that makes sense. So you can kind of adjust 
on the back end what the um, what these relationships you're building at scale mean to your business. And I think uh, if you need to get to you know a hundred thousand people looking at your work in order to monetize it, then you know you either have to be doing that with another thing supporting you mm. um or you're not gonna you're not gonna get there right so that's that's an interesting nuance i haven't nailed exactly how to explain that i'm trying to write about it right now but these shifts in um these shifts in how the business works relative to the scale and the quality of the relationships you've built doesn't have to be uh, it doesn't have to be the same on day one as it is on day 300, 400, mm. 500. And there's some selfish, um, there's another small tweak, I think, where visualized value as a practice was making me a more competent designer, regardless of whether or not anyone saw it. And I think actually this uh, one of the seeds of this idea was planted by this exercise called Daily UI. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but um, was basically an email newsletter. And this was years and years ago, maybe six, seven years ago. Every day, they would send a design brief to your email for 100 days. And you have a Dribbble account as a designer. You do the brief, you like time box it, and you post it on Dribbble. I did that. I don't even think I did the 100. I maybe did 30 or 40 of them. And I got, I became a better UI designer. And I bet you fewer than a couple hundred people ever saw those designs mm. but it was the act of producing it that you know i applied those new skills to my full-time jobs i used it to get better freelance i put some of it in my portfolio so i think you know talking specifically to well, maybe not necessarily just creative people but anybody who like building a brand by producing content is going to have a um there's upside to you regardless of whether or not anyone sees it or interacts with it yeah. well i think it is i mean i can speak from from our experience at nice work the more we've put out there the more videos we've created the more podcasts we've created the more interviews we've done the more webinars we've produced the more videos we've made the more articles we've written we're getting clearer and clearer in our thoughts we're getting better at articulating them um and when we've helped our clients do the same when they create stuff regularly you look at the first stuff and you're like, that's really bad, but you almost yeah. had to make a hundred versions of it to get to the one where you look at it and you go, oh, that's that's very good and that's very clever. And then you look at some brands, like a company like Patagonia has been making ads since the 1970s and they've mm -hmm. been doing it themselves and they've been getting better and better and better and better at it. And then you've seen, and this will lead me to my next question, there's a whole bunch of people in that industry that try and copy their ad style because they've kind of built it up, but it's very hard to copy. I mean, I see that you on, on LinkedIn and all the places where people copy your style, cause it's quite an easy style to, to mm -hmm. copy. Uh, it's not like you need to be uh, the world's best illustrator to use simple shapes and black and white. Um, and you always like and comment on this. Can you talk a little bit about why you engage with the people who are, are almost, not just, I think stealing your brand is the wrong word, emulating you? Yeah, I think, so it wasn't always the case. Like I used to get frustrated by it in the beginning where I would, um, you know, 
Instagram account pops up or like a, a straight rip off in a different style. So you basically take the, the construct of the visual and then just apply some other color scheme to it and typeface mm. to it. And it's, it's frustrating. But what I started to notice was people would comment on those posts and say, this is a visualized value idea, or you've taken this from this page, you should credit them. And, and I just started to think, um, this is a grandiose example that I'm going to use here, but you know, the Wright brothers story yes, where they start to try and legislate or they started to try and litigate against everybody else as trying to build a plane in the early 1900s. And they got beaten into the sky by somebody else because they were so focused on the legal battles and the attempt to like slow other people down. And the same thing that makes the internet this incredible opportunity machine is uh, like the sword cuts both ways, right? If you do something that starts to work, the market picks up on it and starts to copy you. Mm. Loads of people have said this in various different ways, but if nobody's copying your ideas, then maybe your ideas aren't that great. (laughs) And this, yeah, this phenomenon is like, the only thing I can do to really maintain an advantage is just to keep making my work better and put more time into it and there is zero upside to pursuing like you know accounts that are trying to um and honestly i also would say like i don't have a monopoly on visualizing ideas nor do i want one and the like there will be there's plenty of people that would advocate for this idea of you just emulate something you are interested in until you find your own voice and style and even in the most successful examples of the sort of emulation pages at the beginning i was like these guys are definitely going to catch up and maybe overtake uh maybe overtake our main pages hasn't been true so far because the network effects of you know, if you maybe you have a six to 12 month lead in a network effects of this very specific style feels to me like the um the chances of someone running into that work and not your work when their network is 100 times smaller than yours because you've been doing it for a year longer are very mm-hmm. low uh so i just there's a, mul- a multitude of reasons why i just stopped worrying about it and it really like yeah, ate me up for a little while at the start. I was like, oh, I found this thing and now, you know, someone else can just emulate it. And really the only like way to maintain the edge long-term is just to like dig your heels in and just try and be cleverer, make better work and hope that that is obvious in the in the output of the product too. Like there's, there are, you know, this better than anyone. Any, you know, there's, there are branding agencies that can make brands but then there are branding agencies that make brands that you look at and you're just like, how the hell did they do that? There's, there's nuance to it that is just almost imperceptible in terms of like how it's done, but it just makes you feel something different. And I think that's all from craft and intent and practice. And yeah, the only way anybody outruns that, I think, is just to focus on the craft rather than, you know, trying to We'll start getting in arguments about who did what first. I also think, I mean, you mentioned it in your, in your, when you were speaking is that consistency is, you know, if you're consistent, 
you can almost out consistent anyone. You know, I think the only time you really have to worry is when someone starts posting more often than you and just keeps going. (laughs) I think that's the only real risk because I think so many of these people, like you say, they either get, they either find something of their own, you know, which takes them off on a different journey. So you sort of part ways or they, they expect to see the same level of success that you do in a short period of time. And when it doesn't happen, then the kind of the drive slowly dissipates and then the, the, the counts go dormant. Yeah. And I think this is, we really try and encourage our clients not to focus on their clients too much because it's, it's, you can get caught up in a, in a cycle. And every time, if you get someone coming to us from the insurance world, they're like, bring us all the examples from the insurance world. And then there's someone from the FMCG world and they're like, look at all this stuff. And they're all just staring Mm. inside their little box. And then when you see these brands that are just amazing and these ideas that are expansive, it's because someone was reading Harry Potter, you know, and something from Harry Potter, they were like, oh, we can pair that with insurance. And suddenly we've got this, unique and special thing that can stand out that people can feel an emotional attachment to as opposed to just being another version of the same thing that's floating around in the market already yes i think it's a great way of thinking about it it's it's the difference between uh someone like developing a recipe through experience and that like cons like or developing a cookbook let's say through experience where like their unique taste and their set of experiences allows them to produce these unique things versus somebody that has to wait for that dish to come out and try and reverse engineer the recipe. Mm. And there's so much subtlety in how, um, you know, someone came to a conclusion naturally and that feels, um, I've never understood how this works, but so much of, uh, like there's so much gut and instinct that goes into content and ideas that really resonate with people that, if you tr- like the the really calculated attempts to emulate often just don't land anywhere near as uh anywhere near as well as the the ones that were produced with intent and organic input mm. now you you've been doing this for for a while and the the internet is is um notoriously fickle and the attention spans shift all the time like how have you how have you managed to to continue doing this and continue creating and continue capturing that intention from people? Like, how do you do this? And I know you're in the kind of, I suppose, the, not the latter, but in the later part of Visualize Value, you've been doing a lot of education work and a lot of teaching people how to do this. And so it's not so much just about creating the posts. It's about the whole philosophy behind it. Mm-hmm. How do you maintain that attention span which is almost kind of the reward for building the brand but it's also the poison chalice because if it slips away it can it can elude you for the rest of time yeah that's a great question i think uh there's a there's a realization i had reasonably recently which is my curiosity is kind of what got me into this in the first place. So the the times that I've experienced the most, like the lulls in production and in like no new ideas are really flowing is because I've gotten stuck or I'm, uh, I'm 
I'm kind of drawing a line in the sand where it's like, okay, um, let's go back and repeat or, or we've, we're done here and we've got the recipe and we should just keep going mm. versus like you, the, the Harry Potter thing you, you mentioned is kind of a good parallel here is just let my mind wander in certain directions and pursue other things. And because it, visualized value has this like very specific set of constraints, you can almost bring any idea or any realization or any experience back through that filter. And I think it's, one, there's like an element of luck to it because I think I stumbled into something that really gives me constraints that work very uh, harmoniously with the things that I am actually interested in. So I really like the process of trying to decode the idea, like mess around with the logic of the idea and just convey it. So those constraints are actually incredibly helpful for that. And they like, it's almost like, the reward increases with time because you're able to continuously prove that the constraints you've chosen have legs as opposed to me giving up on these constraints and, um, you know, adding some maybe arbitrary new, uh, uh, visual device or adding like broadening the, the scope of tools that I use to produce visuals actually sort of dilutes the power of the rest of the library of stuff. So mm. I, I attended this, um, I attended this talk once and the, there's this point that really stuck with me about figuring out the feeling that you really get like that, that, that produces the reward versus the, um, like the deliverable itself. And I think the, like the act of decoding the idea and like putting it through these, this like puzzle constraint is the thing that I really love so that maybe this will happen. It hasn't yet, but maybe one day I'll wake up and say, I don't want to do black and white visuals anymore. But right now it feels like there's an endless stream of content to put through that filter. And then, um, that actually comes back in its own sort of little reward system and like the the additional equity that you get from solving another puzzle using just these tools so part luck and part like leaning into that i think is um that's a huge that's a huge um accelerant to the consistency too because even if i you know if i'm reading a book and i read a line i'm like Oh, that's, that's great. I want to visualize that. The lift is so much less significant than someone that has to go and sit down at a blank canvas, for instance. So you have like, you're walking into a workshop and you have three tools as opposed to, you know, you look at the wall and there's a hundred different power tools. You're like, Where the hell do I even start with this thing? So almost accidentally, those constraints created this feedback loop that, um, you know, you get healthily addicted to i hope mm, and i love that i mean i think you stumbled onto to my last question which is you know i think the more you tackle an idea and the more you try and own something and invest time in it and explore it from all different angles you start to notice it around you in the world and there's just so much more there can you just uh, i suppose as a last question how do you gather 
the content? How do you continuously do this? Because, you know, it's easy to have five good ideas and execute them, but then now you've got to do another five and another five. And then, you know, five years later, six years later, you, you need to be on idea number 300 or idea number 400. How do you keep filling that pipeline of, of inspiration? So I think another thing that happened by accident in some ways is this the catalyst for visualized value originally was the ideas that i was stumbling upon as a burned out business owner so the the seth godens of the world the naval ravikants of the world like i was reading their words and i'm like okay this is helping me continue to you know evolve my the set of models in my head that's going to help me get to a uh, a more sustainable uh, earn a more sustainable living, build a business that I'm I'm more um, you know, more content with showing up and working on every day, and I think that's been the continuous theme. It's just been like there's a you know three month six month out thing or the problems that I run into as I you know try and continue to grow the business are like leading me into like new thinkers, new ideas, new models. Um, and that like that process of trying to solve these problems, pick out the ideas that map to those problems and like put them back through the filter, I think has been really helpful. So it's like, um, again, like this, this feedback loop that, if I'm thinking about something all day or if I run into a problem and then I go out and look for, you know, maybe some literature that make, helps me reframe it or helps me, uh, um, helps me think about it in a different way. I'll put, I'll take that and put it through this filter. So it's like, um, yeah, it's, just, it's a, uh, just a way to record the evolution of, my thinking and the material that I'm consuming. And that's just, a, you know, it's a pretty symbiotic little uh, feedback loop that has, you know, has worked today. I haven't run out of uh, stuff to consume yet. And there's, there's plenty, <laughs> plenty still out there. That's, that's so rad. I mean, Jack, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I think the pieces that I'm carrying away from this conversation is the, the power of consistency and how kind of, just going at something and, and tackling it again and again and again can produce value. And that value can often be quite, you know, it's self-fulfilling. So once you've done it for long enough, it starts to feed itself and that creates its own sort of equity, which I think in the branding space is a huge advantage for people. And it's, it's, easy to do but it's also easy not to do so mm -hmm. all you have to do is be consistent but it's so easy not to be consistent so i think that's the piece that i'm carrying away so i mean thank you so much for your time i really appreciate your thank energy you. and i continue to watch visualize value evolve thank you for having me it was great all right and with that i think we'll catch you all in the next one bye bye Thanks for listening. We believe that sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who's building a brand or needs some inspiration for their brand, please share this podcast with them. This is our third season, and we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first one to know when a new episode comes out. Or even better, 
leave us a review and tell the world how much you enjoy listening. This really helps. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork. NiceWork is a purpose-driven company helping people who want to make a dent in the world by building brands that people give a shit about. We're based in Johannesburg, South Africa and serve companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, partner with us or make a suggestion. Reach out at www.nicework.co.za And if you're one of those really old school people, send us a letter and we'll make you a mixtape.